I know this will surprise you, but the left is at it again with regulations. We talk a lot about regulatory reforms, what's needed. We talk a lot about regulations, but what happens when we get even closer to a regulation nation? You've heard that phrase before, used in many contexts. Alden Abbott, former FTC Commission General Counsel and Senior Fellow at Mercatus, joins me now. President Biden's executive order, and I'm going to cite it for how they present it, but we'll discuss it, to promote competition throughout the U.S. economy. Over 70 initiatives, over a dozen agencies that will focus on breaking up corporate monopolies, antitrust legislation and litigation being used, and what about its influence or attempts to influence tech, labor, healthcare, and agricultural sectors? Alden, there's a lot in there and a lot to go through, but, you know, is are we seeing another case of regulating a problem that doesn't necessarily rise to the level of needing a new regulation? Uh, you know, you're exactly right, David. Uh, and thank you for having me on your program. Uh, the, the premise of this order is, gee, competition has been declining. Uh, Americans are hurting because of weaker competition. Big companies are, are more powerful than ever. And yet, as a study by the Council of Economic Advisors in 2020 show, that's just not right. If you look statistically at meaningful markets, economic markets, where, where uh, consumers uh, interact with businesses, certainly in a high-tech area, for example, smartphones, other electronic devices have been getting cheaper and better at, uh, at an astonishing rate. Uh, in, in real terms, uh, competition is much better than in Europe or uh, most parts of the world. And partly that's because a lot of the problems in competition come from government rules and companies trying to benefit from or get around government rules. So the idea that you're telling government agencies to start all sorts of new regulatory proceedings to change the way, uh, you know, uh, meat packers are interacting or uh, uh, internet service providers and so forth. It's just a recipe for inferior service, higher prices for consumers. Uh, there are a handful of good things in the order, but things which are going to happen anyway. But on the whole, this is just the wrong medicine. It reminds me of 1970s when Jimmy Carter did a couple of deregulatory things, but there was a lot of unnecessary regulation of oil, gas, and other areas, and that just fueled economic stagflation and an economic slowdown. This is what this smacks off, and call it a, a broad view, but delve into some of the details. You're right, there's a couple of things in here that look good and sound good in this executive order. So you get a couple of things in there in Washington that look good and sound good to appease those that would attack it. It's almost like a defense mechanism when, in fact, when you're looking at regulatory requirements that they would add more on top of existing regulation on uh, digital platforms, banks, railways, meat packers, shipping. Again, they throw a couple of things in that look good because it says, hey, look, we're doing good things. But the majority of this is either not needed or not based in reality and real analysis. And that point of real analysis 
is I think where we should be concerned because this is often as we see government and bureaucracies not analyzing but issuing a regulation. I don't know if it's for their own existence, ideologically driven or otherwise. Well, I, I think it's the fact that often businesses benefit from regulation to big businesses. It's funny, the irony here, they're saying, well, you go out, have to go after these big businesses. But for example, it's net neutrality regulation, which uh, the executive order tells the FCC to reinstitute. What does that do? It means that uh, it, it actually subsidizes big uh, companies like uh, Netflix, like Facebook, that use a lot of broadband. And, and uh, the in, uh, uh, Internet service providers can't charge them more for the extra use on the system. This says you use something much more intensely. You sh- should be able to charge it more. If you can't, it means that you're going to have heavier use, uh, lower rates of return, lower income to the Internet service providers, that, and less investment in bro- In fact, there are some studies that show after 2015, under Obama, when Internet service provider uh, invested less, less in broadband, or slowed their investment, precisely because you had a net neutrality rule. So again, the trick is something sounds good. Oh, neutral, that must be fair. Well, neutral may just mean that actually one group of businesses like the big, some of the big platforms are benefiting at the expense of another uh, group of businesses. And that's the reality. A, a lot of regulation really is aimed at protecting the interest of certain politically connected businesses, and the, while other businesses and consumers in general are harmed. Yeah, and to that point, if you go a step further, who pays the tab? Because what happens is you end up getting businesses being subsidized by taxpayer dollars being put in place by the government. So we lose. We don't get the service as broadly. And the business, if it begins to see less revenue, then because they have a lobbyist, because they can work, they have the money to work with government, will go out and protect their business at our expense. We're Basically, they're dipping their hands in our pockets twice. That's, that's quite correct. And, you know, who also is hurt, as you say, that the consumer is also hurt because they've got less innovation. Like lots of small drug companies, lots of small uh, uh, computer companies and producers of new software have a business model. They have patents they want to get acquired. The big company has the manufacturing and capabilities to, to make them better, to make their pro- integrate their products, get drugs to market. Now, if you start blocking these mergers, and that certainly is the tone of, of, of a lot of the stuff here, you're going to have fewer startups aimed at hopefully being taken, uh, acquired. So, and also regulations of drug prices you see in here. Again, Consumers don't want to pay a lot for drug prices, so it sounds good. If, if you're concerned about consumers paying some more, you really need to first uh, rewrite a lot of inefficient uh, regulation that messes up the pricing in the healthcare system. If you want, you could give money directly to consumers to buy drugs. But for example, buying cheaper drugs from Canada sounds good. That's because there are drug controls in Canada, and the fact is Canadians have uh, faced big drug shortages, which we don't. And uh, in fact, lots of Canadians have gone to the U.S. to get drugs precisely because of that. So if you have more drug controls, what does it mean? 
lower, less investment, less investment in R&D, fewer new uh, drugs, and, and medicines coming down the pike. So you can't see that right now, but consumers, not just now, but in the future, are going to be harmed. Within this executive order, uh, and of course, outside of it, I think we should go a little bit broader in the discussion. Uh, are there areas and how uh, would there, how, how or what are the first steps uh, that could be taken to improve, you know, the cost when it comes to drug prices, to lower the prices? Real world, as I like to say, practitioner versus theorist. Let's look at the practitioner side of this. How do we do this and how, what steps are necessary? Right. Well, one of the things you could do, you need to increase competition. It's sort of tricky. Certainly getting generics into the market is fine. But the problem is that there's some rules that say that, well, uh, the producers of blockbuster drugs through generic substitution lose a lot of, the, a lot of their profits. Uh, there are some sort of weird uh, intermediaries in the system, in the system, uh, and if you could spend hours talking about like, uh, but what you really need is to have a massive look. And there have been attempts on the FTC to do that. And how can regulation be reformed uh, by HHS to uh, and how and insurance market practices, which are off responses to regulation. So the first. Before doing anything, I'd say let's look at how regulation has unnecessarily raised the cost of, of medicines and uh, limited access to the hospitals. And, and, you know, regulation, for example, has harmed uh, small businesses and people who want to get into things like cosmetology and barbering by unnecessary licensing rules. You have unnecessarily testing rule, unnecessary testing rules, licensing rules. You have unnecessary rules regarding getting on formularies uh, to, to have your drugs sold. There are lots of things you can do, but instead of saying we're going to sue the companies or we're going to regulate and change a practice, the first thing is, you know, make sure uh, there's no harm. The Hippocratic oath, first do no harm, do a massive e- study, and there have been plenty, plenty of good work already done here. On, uh, on the causes and costs of regulation, and don't act before you say, how can the market, how is this going to improve the market? Because unless the market is failing, attempts to regulate just make things worse. And lots, that, that's sort of well-demonstrated fact in our, in our history. My guest, Alden Abbott, former FTC general counsel, is now senior fellow at Mercatus. All right, you brought up something which... Of all the things in this order and that was issued, caught my eye, and it's not one of the biggest items, occupational licensing restrictions. Uh, one of the reasons being uh, in the military community, as spouses move from state to state, as they do, sometimes every two years, if they have an occupational license, getting that license active and working in the next state becomes a problem, but it goes broader to this issue and this affects people at the main street level the federal government versus state government state governments already have a cash flow with these licensing procedures re-upping your license taking so many hours paying the state a fee now the federal government is going to somehow solve or address what is essentially a 50 state issue 
something I mean, doesn't add up. You're you're quite right about that, David. I mean, essentially, it's a state by state issue. States are allowed to occupy to regulate their professions, but there've been a lot of sort of free market institutes that have brought lawsuits and pointed out, look, lots of states have have strange rules, like you need a thousand hours of courses uh, and ordered by a cosmetology board or a barbering board to get a license as a cosmetologist or a barber. And there's no, that's certainly excessive to the sorts of training you need. It also prevents small mom and pop operations from getting started. So the real effort has been to tell the state, states, you know, often special interests have kept these rules in place. You need to reform them. In theory, those are local things. And the federal government uh, really, it, it's not their responsibility. It's primarily the states. What there's a one thing you can do, though, because as you mentioned, the military and when spouses of uh, servicemen and women move around the country, nurses, barbers, cosmetologists, so on, can't get a job because of different states don't recognize the license of another state. You could say because there's a federal uh, tie to uh, the movement of personnel, military personnel. That's a federal responsibility. There, you can say, look, guys, try and recognize uh, some other state's license. So ideally, the best thing would be to tell states, convince states to loosen unnecessary requirements and then have mutual recognition. You could have something called an interstate compact uh, where states are allowed and to uh, co- agree among themselves to recognize each other's uh, licensing laws and to say we'll recognize them if they're no no more restrictive in a certain level. You could do it by each state doing its own law or you could have a compact and agreement and that could could go to Congress. That would be involving the states more directly and you know that's really what I prefer. The danger and I think you're pointing this out David is that the federal government gets involved there's a risk you're going to get legislation that's going to lard on some new requirements that have to be apply to all uh, occupation licenses. So instead of having some bad state regulations, you'll have uh, uh, a uniformly bad rule that applies in all 50 states, which is not something we want. So there is, there's no sense of the importance of federalism in the order. So, so you raise a very good point. Yeah, look, I like what Arizona did in their uh, reciprocity. Uh, that started a couple of years ago now. I can't believe it's been a couple of years. The idea that you at least have a time to come in and practice your craft and not limited to military. There are others, but that's one example of fast moving or constantly moving population as you're going from base to base with your family. But yeah, there, there's a line to be walked there. I, I just don't like the idea of the federal government and wanted to lay this out. And then, by the way, not addressing a lot of the real problems. Yes, you you have a profession. You don't necessarily need a thousand hours or whatever. I mean, it's ridiculous. Some of the fees yeah. and it is a cash flow for the states and the municipalities that or whether it's county, state or municipality. They love the cash flow because in order to do your work, you're going to just cough up the 400 bucks or whatever your state demands for your license renewal. Right. And, you know, I, you have to be very careful also about antitrust, but there are some ca- examples of where state regulatory boards clearly have been captured by local industry. There was a Supreme Court ruled a few years ago that the FTC was right in ordering a North Carolina dental board to 
not to enforce certain rules. Those rules prevented, uh, you know, teeth whitening centers that were perfectly safe from offering teeth, tooth whitening uh, services in shopping malls and stores around the state. Why? Because the dentist w- wanted to monopolize that or limit the availability of, quote-unquote, professional tooth whitening. In South Carolina, there was a dental board rule that said you can't uh, give dental hygiene services in rural areas or anywhere unless you're directly supervised by a dentist. Again, that was that prevented some poor people in poor parts of the state from being given very basic dental services that didn't require a dentist. So, yeah, the r- real problem is, yeah, exactly, I'm a big believer in federalism, but you can get special interest groups. This is they lobby the federal government to, to harm consumers. You can get that at the state level as well. And, you, and the state freedom lobbying groups need to be on the wall, lookout for that as well. I think the people should be paying close attention, not just to this discussion, obviously, but uh, to this executive order and another executive order issued. And we will see what happens in the next presidency. This is the... The cycle of executive order stupidity that goes on in government at times. Right. And the big problem, I'll close on, you know, you've got a lot of guests coming up, but it tells a bunch of half-truths that make it sound as if there are all of these problems. Drug prices are higher than we'd like. Maybe yes. Uh, there have been a lot of bad mergers. Well, why are mergers bad? In fact, those mergers were looked at. And if, uh, and if you look statistically, antitrust enforcement has been fairly like it or not, fairly consistent over the last 30 years. Does that mean that all of these people uh, and some, sometimes are attacked as being too interventionist or being too soft? Uh, all these professionals suddenly are seeing the light. It, it doesn't make sense. To me, this is just, as you say, another attempt by to move towards bigger governance. And one last caution I'd have is a reference in the order, passing reference to a national provision, federal provision of insurance as an alternative to private provision. That is a big danger. That's moving towards national health insurance because you'd have a subsidized plan, crowd out private insurance, and you'd have all the dangers of single provider, low quality service, which you have in in England and Canada. We should be careful when it comes to executive orders and when they have the effect of making law. Uh, Alden, great to have you on. I hope people are paying attention because this is a Main Street problem, not just a big corporation problem. Absolutely. And and, uh, things that that look too good. Again, the old joke about we're government and we're here to help you. Hold on to your pocketbooks. Nine scariest words in the English language. Yep. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Alden Abbott, uh, former FTC general counsel and senior research fellow at Mercatus. Thank you, Alden. 866-95-PATRIOT. Thank you. Uh, follow his work at Mercatus.org. 866-95-PATRIOT. I'll be right back. <laughs> 